you could open up your text to Psalm chapter 139. While you're turning there, just what a blessing it is to be here, to stand before you as my ascending church, just humbled at the process that it's taken to get here and the men that God has placed in my life to help bring me to this point of God's calling. So as you're turning to Psalm 139, I've labeled this message, The God Who Is There talking about God's sovereignty. I have a saying that is one of my favorite, and it's the preacher most effective is the preacher most affected. What I mean by this statement is is that the most effective preacher is the one who has been so deeply and thoroughly affected by Scripture that his heart sings with joy. Through the good times and the bad, the joy and the sorrow, it's been so deeply affected by the truths of God's Word. And I want to tell you a story about my oldest son, Jonathan, and how this text of Psalm 139 has been fleshed out in Aaron and I's lives. So on January 10th, 2010, was an incredible day of joy because we were welcoming our first son into the world. You know, that first feeling that you get as a new parent, you want to be excited, but you're nervous, and you know you're not going to get any sleep, but it's, it's all still exciting. So he was born perfectly healthy baby boy, six pounds, 15 ounces. Family and friends came to visit that day when he was born. And we were so full of joy because of what God had done in our lives and brought him to us. So I remember that night that Erin just, she kept telling me, she said, I think, I think something's not right with him. And of course, me being the, you know, the strong, supportive husband, I was like, no, honey, it's, it's okay. He's, he's just fine, trying to encourage her. And as the night progressed, she just had this stronger and stronger feeling that something just wasn't right. Sure enough, um, sometime during the night, the nurses and the doctors noticed something with him um, that made them want to take an x-ray of his abdomen. And they took an x-ray, and it was inconclusive. What they were afraid of is, is that he had been born with something called intestinal malrotation. So it's a, a birth deformity, and it's fixable. So if you can imagine young, brand-new parents and their first child has just been brought into the world, and you go from this high to everything just seems to crash down around you. So they transferred Jonathan to the children's hospital, and they did a special test there, and they verified that he did have twisted intestines. Now, you have to understand that what can happen if it's not caught in time is portions of his intestines can die because of cut-off blood flow. Uh, So he could lose part or all of his intestines. So meanwhile, I'm at the children's hospital with him. They're getting ready to, to send him into surgery, and poor Erin is stuck at the hospital that she delivered at, and she can't even leave yet because they don't, there's no way they can discharge her that fast. So by the grace of God, he was brought back to, through the ER, and and I'm I'm telling you, God ordained the right people at the right time. Because the process that should have taken hours upon hours, we were, from the time we left the hospital he was born at to the time he was in surgery, was three hours. Everything included. And it was just incredible. And God sent an amazing surgeon And he came out and gave us the report that he was able to fix everything. And and he said, if it had been 20 more minutes or so, then he would have lost a part of his intestines. 
So it was great that he made it through surgery, but now we got to get him out of the hospital. So he spent 28 days in the neonatal intensive care unit, and it was just, it was grueling. We tried to do everything that we could to, to hold it together. The first week, we probably spent 20 out of 24 hours a day there by his side. But we just wanted to be there. We wanted to do something, but truth was, we couldn't even touch him because of all the wires and the tubes and everything coming out of him. So... Psalm 139 quickly became, and, and we had no idea it was going to become, such a comfort to us in the sovereignty of God. Now, Pastor Brent said that I could choose any text that I wanted tonight, and believe me, there were many that I would have loved to preach from. But I chose Psalm 139 particularly because I'm convinced that when we find rest in the fact that we serve a God who is in control of all things, then we'll be able to handle anything that comes our way. A wise mentor once said, actually some of you might know him, I think he goes by Dr. Daniel Davy these days. He once said that the sovereignty of God is the softest pillow to lay your head on at night. And to tell you the truth, when he said that, I, I just kind of was taken aback. I, was, I don't really understand that, but the more I thought about it, I was able to see that truth. When everything else around you seems to be falling apart, knowing that God is the one who's in control of it all, is a source of such incredible peace. So my point in tonight's message is not to give a thorough exegesis of the text, but rather I want to speak to you very practically about how Aaron and I applied this truth to our lives in a, just a time of incredible sorrow and pain. And I have three questions that I want to bring to you tonight. The first question is, didn't God know that we were hurting? And we read in verses 1 through 6, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So according to these verses and what we read here, God knows everything about us. Specifically looking at verses 3 and 4, the psalmist says, You are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there's a word on my tongue. Behold, Lord, you know it all. So he knew that this would happen before it happened. And most comforting is the fact that he knew what was on our minds and our hearts before we even said or felt anything. Because he's an omniscient God. If we doubt that he knows what we're thinking or feeling, then we forget that fact. Now, God's omniscience simply means that he fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Job 37, 16 says that God is the one who, quote, is perfect in knowledge. 1 John 3, 20 says that God knows everything. So here I am, a brand new dad, whose firstborn child is sitting in the neonatal intensive care unit, and there is absolutely nothing that I can do to save him or to help him. And I have to place my full dependence upon God. But also me being the man and wanting to make sure that I am strong for everyone else and not relying on anybody else for strength took all of this weight and I tried to be the rock that Aaron needed and the rock that our family needed. 
And I distinctly remember that there was one event. We were sitting in the waiting room, and we had some family there with us. And it came time, you know, in the evening. Okay, well, what do we want to eat for dinner? Now, I love my family to death, but trying to choose collectively the same place to eat is very difficult because it usually goes like this. Well, what do you guys want to eat? Oh, I don't care, anything. Okay, great, we're going to have Chinese. Oh, I don't want, I don't want Chinese. Okay, great, well, we're going to have steak. Oh, I, I don't want anything but steak. So we went through this whole process, and we decided on pizza. Great. So I called to, to order pizza, and I'm on the phone with a lady, and I'm talking with her, and I'm trying to get a general consensus. Okay, we figured out what place we're going to eat at, now we need to figure out what we're going to eat. So trying to get everybody to decide collectively what kind of pizza we're going to eat was even more difficult than trying to figure out we were going to eat pizza. So they're, they're just going back and forth about this, and, and I just remember I hung up on the lady on the phone, I walked out of the waiting room, down the hall around the corner, and I just, I hit my knees, and I just cried. Because I had been trying to carry this weight for everyone, and something as simple as ordering a pizza brought me to tears brought me to my knees. I didn't know that it would happen, but God did, and he ordained for that to happen. Because while I was sobbing on my knees and Aaron came around the corner, a nurse, um, I don't even know where she came from, stepped off the elevator at one point, saw that we were crying and, and hurting, and said, I'll, do you want me to get somebody, a chaplain or something? And of course, you know, I said, no, I'm good. But she went and got the chaplain anyways. And he came up, and he prayed with us, and it was exactly what we needed, the right thing at the right time. And it was because God knew what was going to happen, and he placed these people in the right place to help comfort us. <clears throat> Second question I have is, where was God when Aaron and I were hurting and helpless to help our own son? If we look at verses 7 through 12, we can see, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So these verses tell us very clearly that he was right there with us the entire time. And he was holding us through it all. David asked two rhetorical questions in verse 7. He says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Brothers and sisters, the answer is nowhere. He says, if I go to the highest highs or the lowest lows, left, right, wherever I go, God is there. Because God is omnipresent, which simply means that God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point in space with his whole being. So he's right there with us in the midst of our trials, no matter what comes. And we can find comfort, especially in verses 11 through 12, because if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day because darkness and light are alike to you. So in those moments where I feel like everything is closing in around me and it's just going to crush me under the weight of it. 
I feel like I'm in this shadow where God cannot possibly see me because everything around me is so dark and I don't even know where I'm going. We cling to this truth that says that darkness and light are alike to God and he can see us and we can never leave his presence no matter what. Brothers and sisters, that is incredible. If we just remember that throughout any trial that we go through, that he is there and there is no place too dark and no shadow cast too big to where he can't see us, sovereignty of God is the softest pillow to lay your head on at night. The third and final question, where was God during Jonathan's time in the womb when this, quote, mistake, end quote, as the world would see it, occurred? If we look at verses 13 through 16, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So according to verses 13 through 16, God was there the whole time because God formed Jonathan's inward parts. God wove Jonathan together in Aaron's womb. God designed him that way for that specific instance. And I don't think that we have seen, I'm confident in the fact that we have not seen the full implications of just that surgery and what it's done in our lives because it has pushed us, it has refined us as a result of that. And God has perfectly orchestrated everything that has happened. It was in fact not a mistake. David affirms that in verse 16 that God had planned every day of Jonathan's life before he was even born. He says, And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were not one of them. And in Jeremiah 1.5, we see God talking to Jeremiah, and he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God was always there for Jonathan. He formed Jonathan, and he has a purpose for Jonathan's lives. And I firmly believe that we'll never see the full implications of that until we see God. So today, Jonathan sits right there as a perfectly healthy boy. He did have to have another surgery when he was two and a half years old, which actually turned out to be three days before our second son was born. And I think in a lot of ways, it was worse than the first surgery because He's being rushed in for surgery, and we were completely blindsided thinking that we would never ever have to deal with anything again related to his intestines, and here he is in surgery. In three days, his brother is supposed to be here. So we've got one son in, um, in the children's hospital, and the other one, you know, Aaron was rushed to Norfolk General, which is right next door, to deliver our second son, so at least I could be there as I bounced back and forth between hospitals. And then more sicknesses followed after that, and at one point I was between three hospitals. So in some ways, it was, it was a lot worse, but <clears throat> it doesn't change the fact that God ordained for that to happen as well, and that he's sovereignly in control. So what can we take away from all of this? First, because God is omniscient, he knows everything past, present, and future. So we can rest in the fact that nothing happens outside of what he knows to happen. It, it's not an accident. 
Nothing just happens. He knows everything past, present, and future. There are no surprises. Number two, because he is omnipresent, that means that he's right there beside us when we are in our highest highs and our lowest lows. There is nowhere that we can go in this world that he is not. Thirdly, because God formed us in our mother's womb and ordained every day of our lives before they were even created, we can rest in his sovereign plan for our lives. When we can't see that any possible way this could be for good, how do you as a brand new parent and your infant is in the neonatal intensive care unit recovering, how can you see any good that could possibly come from this? Because each day you are just praying to God that he will survive till the next day. How can we see any good in that? but it is for our good. I have a few last thoughts before we pray because I want to help you think beyond my story. Because he's sitting right here today. He made it through that surgery. He made it through the second surgery. And he's perfectly fine now. But I want to push you beyond that and ask you, what if Jonathan had died on that operating table? What if you don't get that job promotion that you've been hoping for? What if the person in your life whom you love the most out of anyone on earth were to be killed tonight? What if your house is leveled by a tornado? Fill in any tragic or disappointing scenario that you want in here and then ask yourself, in light of God's word, which we have looked at tonight, does this change in any way the fact that God is sovereign and perfectly in control? It doesn't. We'll struggle with that. When you're going through those deep, dark times, you will question that, and, and you will have to fight that. But I like what John Piper says. He says, get alone and preach to yourself the truth of God's word. Because we need to preach to ourselves. This is not a matter of listening to our inner self and how I feel right now. No, this is finding the truth of Scripture, going to Psalm 139 and saying that I know that God is here even though I don't feel like it. I feel like I am in a shadow and I'm overcast in utter darkness and God cannot possibly be here, but I cling to the truth of Scripture that he is here and that darkness and light are the same to him. What an incredible truth. And we have to remember that. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, not just for the opportunity to stand here and, and to go through this process of being ordained uh, by this church and being um, thoroughly uh, impacted by the men in my life, but God, to be able to proclaim your word in such a clear way, Lord, how you take my feeble attempts as a man and your Holy Spirit uses those words to reach down deep into somebody's soul and impact them in such a way that they turn to you. God, I rejoice in that fact. And I'm so thankful for that. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that as we leave here tonight, that we would not forget the fact that you are sovereign, not forget that no matter what comes, good or bad, that you are in control and that we would be able to rest in the fact that your plan is perfect no matter how we see it. Father, I pray that you would protect us as we go about our different ways tonight. And I thank you again for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.